Ladies and gentlemen, All About Reality is coming to you with a very special guest hailing from the site Rotoviz. We have what I think is in the running for the rookie of the year here, writing Sam Wallace. He's been firing up our listeners and a lot of our SOGMs with some really great analysis um, in this offseason. So, Sam, we had to get you on the program. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to be here. Goody, are you excited to bring in a Rotoviz writer? This might be a first for us, no? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think Tyler may have been at Rotoviz yeah. at the yeah. time he was on, but um, yeah, no, super excited to have Sam on. Lo- love the premise of his articles and and just has done some done some great work and also just grinded, done a lot of volume and, and a lot of articles in in a short period of time. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't wish you a happy birthday. I know it was yesterday, Cinco de Mayo. I tweeted that yesterday, but happy birthday to my co-host, um, Luke. Thanks a lot, and, man. And now that now the, the pleasantries are aside, let's let's get into fake pigskin, right? For sure. And so, Sam, most of our readers are, are more than acquainted with Rotoviz. Can you tell me, like, the unique angle that you guys bring to the game and, and why it, like, why it, so many people are drawn to that site to get some analysis. I really think it's, I think it's the depth of the analysis that a lot of the writers bring. Um, I think I still have kind of the, that new guy feeling when I kind of look around the website at a lot of the, the authors that are here and the quality of the content that they put out. And I'm still just in awe at, at a lot of the things these guys put out. I'm like, man, just the depth of the research, the things they talk about, the trends that they hit on. And I think a lot of that stems from just the in-house tools that we have. There's so many um, different ways to dive into players, different historical player comps. You want to compare different variables, um, ages of players, height, weight, 40 time, look at, you know, combine scores, just the, the sheer amount of, or just the sheer volume of data, I think that, that they bring to the table that they develop entirely in-house and provide for the writers and the subscribers, I think is just totally unmatched. It's, it's very revolutionary and it's very cool. It is very cool, and you've still got that new car smell. So let's uh, let's go take you for a spin a little bit. Then, yeah. Yes, so, please. <laughs> and so, like uh, one thing that I want to talk about, like Goody said, that you've given us an enormous amount of volume to draw from, and a player that has been a Rotoviz tout um, from very early on, and, and Rotoviz actually put me on him when he came in as a rookie, is Tyler Boyd, and and the on, the support for Tyler Boyd has been unwavering over there at Rotoviz even as other people have kind of gotten off him. And I just want you to walk us through uh, either your article or how you feel about him now. Like, and this will give our listeners a sense of where you're at in terms of the kind of awesome analysis that you've been giving us. So talk to us about Tyler Boyd. Talk to us now that you know what we know. You know, Joe, Joe Burrow is newly minted there. You know, AJ Green's coming back. Give us a little Tyler Boyd uh, vision for the future here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the article you're referencing, um, I, I did early April, so just about a month ago. So it was still pre-NFL draft. Um, Joe Burrow was more or less penciled in, I think, for most people to go to the Bengals at the 101. But what I was really curious about was, you know, is the hype justified? Like you said, there's kind of been this unwavering love and support for him, both, you know, from the writers at Rotoviz and from the fantasy community as a whole, he seems to have really been, you know, hey, go buy Tyler Boyd. We know AJ Green's getting older. He hasn't played a whole lot. Um, One of the first things I really wanted to look at when I started doing the article was um, a comment I'd heard from a lot of people was, well, how well has Boyd played both with and without AJ Green? And just a real simple but I think still impactful tool at Rotoviz is one of the game splits apps is you can really just pick two variables for a player and say, when the player meets these criteria, here's how well they did. And when they didn't, here's how well they did. So I really just kind of plugged in Boyd with and without green and said, okay, here's how well he has done in his career and, and not. And he's done really well, excuse me, without AJ green, which is kind of showing, okay, he's capable of kind of standing alone, not relying on, another alpha wide receiver one to draw away defensive coverage. So he's actually been better without green. So part of that was, okay, is he going to suffer with green coming back, but his health, his age. And another piece I looked at too was we, we kind of know how deep wide receiver is getting uh, from a fantasy perspective. So I actually went back and looked and last year, um, kind of the wide receiver two window, if you will, in PPR scoring. So from wide receiver 13 to 24 in 12 team leagues, the difference there was like 22 points. That's it. That's all that separated, you know, wide receiver 13, wide receiver 24. So it didn't really matter who you were getting in that window. 
is um, you were pretty much going to get the exact same wide receiver two scoring results. That was a big piece for me. And I was actually surprised. And I'd have to double check what his ADP is now. But leading up to the draft, Boyd's ADP was actually outside of the wide receiver two range. He was being taken as the wide receiver 30, which I thought was relatively inexpensive. And I would initially, when I saw the hype and kind of, you know, the things being generated around Boyd of, you know, hey, he's a popular buy. I figured his ADP would kind of creep up to a point that I wouldn't feel comfortable drafting him. I was surprised at how low it had fallen. Um, I'm admittedly concerned about a rookie quarterback coming in and supporting both AJ Green and Tyler Boyd. So I would maybe temper expectations a little bit initially this year while Burrow gets his feet wet. I don't know how, you know, everything going on in society is going to affect not only the season itself, but off-season workouts, things like that. How much chemistry is Burrow going to have a chance to build with Boyd? But I, I'm still a definite believer in his talent and the talent that Burrow and potential that he can bring to that team moving forward. Very good. And to finish on, on Boyd a little bit, but again, thank you for starting us off there, But because that's exactly what we're looking for. That kind of range of wide receiver 12 to, to 25 is exactly where Rotoviz puts him from a dynasty perspective. And right ahead of him are players like Keenan Allen, Cortland Sutton, a new kid on the block in Jalen Rager, Diggs, CeeDee Lamb, Ridley, Judy. Are any of those receivers receivers that you personally would be comfortable moving Boyd ahead of? Or do you think he, he kind of does fit neatly at the end of that tier? I think he definitely fits within that tier. And I think you bring up a good point there is one thing I've encouraged a lot of, you know, people in my fantasy community and some readers as well is, you know, don't get so fixated on one particular player within that range, where if you see a lot of guys, like you just mentioned, you know, you can make a strong case for a lot of those based on talent and situation. But I would say, you know, draft on value. Now, if you say, Hey, I'm a big Tyler Boyd fan. I really want to make sure I get him. I'm always a proponent of, you know, go, go get your guy. You know, fantasy, supposed, fantasy is supposed to be fun. It's fun to roster guys that you like to cheer for. And, you know, I like going to get your guy. But, you know, if Boyd goes way sooner than you think or you think he's going to go sooner, I mean, play within your tier. If you can still draft someone like, like a Ridley, like a Sutton, like a Lamb or a Judy in Dynasty, um, do that. So kind of to your question, I would be okay with moving Boyd in front of most of those players, um, except for probably Sutton, Ridley, and then it's going to be interesting to see how these rookies play out with Judy and Lamb. I'm tempering expectations for year one, kind of for the same reasons I listed of that maybe lack of chemistry between Burrow and Boyd. But yeah, I can't really see where you could go wrong with any of those guys in that tier. Now, Goody, I've tied it one of your big, uh, your big um, directional <laughs> I'm trying to make this more complicated than me. You called out DJ Chark last year, did it well. Rotor right. has him at position 15 on their dynasty rankings. Okay. At one point, a few of the guys behind him are guys that other like analysts and sites have, have frankly have much higher. We're talking Odell Beckham. We're talking Calvin Ridley. We're talking all the guys that I just mentioned um, with, um, with Sam right there. Mm -hmm. Are you – are you so high on Chark going into this season that you're comfortable taking him ahead of the Odell Beckhams and Jarvis Landry's and Robert Woods in if we're giving if we're giving a long-term contract at a free agency auction because Chark might be available? Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting point. That's something I wanted to kind of bring back with Boyd. So in RSO leagues across all leagues, Boyd Boyd was a kind of a flashy extension guy a couple of years ago. So his average contract is about five and a half years, which is indicative of the extension that he got in, across and about 54 million. So about he's costing about $10 million in, in a year annual value in reality sports online. And a lot of those guys that you mentioned, the first question to Sam, the Keenan Allens of the world. I mean, I know I'm paying Keenan Allen, I think about $30 million a year, give or take. And, you know, some of those guys that you mentioned, like Ridley and Sutton, if they're in startups, they certainly have more cachet and, and those types of things. And, and Lamb and Judy, so they may cost you draft capital. So I think Boyd fits, while you may not take him over any of those guys in that range, just from a pure, if I was doing a redraft, would I pick Boyd over those guys? No, but but the value is certainly there either at the 10 million or if, or if you're in a startup because they have T Higgins and still have AJ green, I, I don't think Boyd's getting up to $20 million in, 
so I so I don't think he's necessarily hitting that no man's land where you're you're taking a leap and you're paying him fifteen million dollars a year and feel and having remorse on that. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think he is a nice value proposition. As for would I take Chark over Odell Beckham Jr. in the next couple of years? I don't think so. Uh, actually, no. I, I'm not even going to say I don't think so. No. I, I mean, I, I think that Minshew had a decent rookie year, but, you, you know, there's a lot that's unwritten about him. I, I think Chark has the measurables and everything else, but, it, you know, I'm more excited about this Browns offense than I am about Chark's potential. I, I would put Chark over Landry. I would rather have Calvin Ridley than Chark. Than Chark I think I, I would rather have Calvin Ridley than Chark. I mean, it, the, the proposition of him being wide receiver one in that offense, I think is what's appealing in the dynasty community. But, um, you know, as being someone who just added Visca in a trade in our writer's league, I, I, I like his Swiss army, skill set too if he can stay healthy so I, I am high on Chark in general and but I, I don't know what an RSO price I would pay for him right now is if that makes any sense it does because that tier is widening as Sam said it does it's going to raise really interesting questions for RSO GMs this year and fantasy players all over the place as to how much of how your draft capital or actual capital in the in in your salary cap that you want to invest in these kind of tier two wide receivers that could potentially be good for a long time and whether or not you're going to invest one of your four or three-year contracts. Sam, one article that's particularly insightful for RSO GMs that you did um, is the other end of the spectrum. Big name guys that we ought to try to sell now to get out from under their contracts while we're still going to make them uh, a worthwhile sell and we don't have to pay our own assets to get rid of them um, on our, on our, get them off our cap and some surprising names there. So uh, you, there's five of them in there. Do you want to pick one that you can kind of uh, tempt our readers to go look further into your, into your analysis? Yeah, for sure. Um, and this was kind of, I think one of my more provocative pieces that I did kind of right away post draft simply because it, it was the, you know, the NFL draft was the first real taste of sports that a lot of us had had in a while. And so we were just, you know, craving something and, all of the gut reactions and the quick hitting, you know, tweets and articles were coming out on a lot of players. I mean, even minutes and hours after they were, after they were drafted on and, you know, Hey, go buy this guy, go sell this guy. Some of the ones that are in here, I think are really no brainers. When you look at where some of the, the top tier running backs went that are going to really afford them some significant opportunity just because of their body of work and their draft capital. But Two of the two of the guys that I dropped in here were were Cortland Sutton and then also Michael Gallup. And anybody that either follows me or sees a lot of my work knows I'm a pretty big Michael Gallup truther. I really have been. I was really excited to see how this offseason was going to treat him. There was some rumblings for a while that Amari Cooper was going to be leaving town. He eventually signed the big contract, things like that. But um, in terms of these veterans to sell, kind of looking at Cortland Sutton here for a second, he picks up Jerry Judy as a teammate as um, the 15th or 15th player taken overall. We, we know how good of a, of a production profile Judy has coming out of college is a fantastic route runner. We really knew that the Broncos in theory, were going to, we're going to try to surround Drew Locke with talent and they definitely did. Similar to how I broke down Boyd. I wanted to see how well Cortland Sutton was going to play with or without, you know, kind of a, a promising or a talented whiteout across the field from him. Last year, Cortland Sutton was actually better with Emmanuel Sanders in the fold. He actually scored several points higher per game with Sanders opposite him. And you could say part of that was, you know, due to the revolving quarterback door that Denver had for a while before they eventually settled on Drew Locke. Part of that was, you know, just him kind of figuring himself out as a player, Locke gaining some of that chemistry with him as well. A lot of these guys that I mentioned, especially with Sutton, I think they're sells at the right price. Because it's really easy to kind of panic sell players that you think their value is going to plummet. So you say, hey, I'm just going to sell right now. Whatever I can get for it, that's, I'm just going to sell. I just want them off my roster because this is the best chance I'll ever have. And I reference it right at the beginning of the article that none of these guys should be sells just to sell. But if you can find an appropriate owner who says, hey, if I feel like you're panic selling and I'm giving a price that I'm okay with, this is a price that I'm okay actually selling at and getting in return and maybe diversifying my, my lineup a little bit. Maybe you play in multiple leagues and maybe you have a lot of exposure to one particular player. Um, 
over at Rotoviz, Sean Siegel put out a really excellent kind of podcast following this article where he talks about that concept of diversifying your portfolio of, of lineups. And when you play in maybe multiple leagues and you say, I want to maybe mitigate some of the risk that maybe Sutton does take a backseat to Jerry Judy and maybe Judy is the premier talent and will be the primary target. That's definitely possible. Uh, so I think it's really identifying good buyers as well. It's not just selling to sell, but it's finding a mutually, I would say, beneficial agreement, but keeping your team as as in tip-top shape as you can. No, you say that well. And one of my favorite reasons why I've invested in Rotoviz is because it, in, a, in my most successful runs in fantasy, I followed a lot of the advice of Sean Siegel and others. And last year I got away from it and did not diversify. I found myself in love with Brandon Cooks and across all my teams, he was, a, he was always falling to a price that I was going to take him and literally ended up taking him 100% of the time. And that, that, that tail ended sadly last year, as, as you might imagine. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so I think there's, there's some worth to this. And when you reference Cortland Sutton, are your articles influenced by your um, acquaintance with the guys at Rotoviz? Because they have Jerry Judy still as like the third ranked rookie um, overall. And so that's higher than most analysts on him. And so does that play into your, like, do you anticipate a kind of a successful career arc, obviously, even immediately? So it might affect Sutton. Um, a little bit, I think, for sure. Um... And you reference a good point about maybe is is there some you know some group thinking going on here but behind some of behind some of my processes and you say you know sometimes there's like rotoviz guys that you know we we as a website tend to be fairly high on I think there's some definite truth to that I I don't think it would be fair to totally ignore that because I think well I know there's a lot of very brilliant people in here but we do oftentimes draw from the same pool of data the same pool of resources we tend to discuss and share. And I think a lot of times we do tend to come to some sort of consensus. So I definitely think there's some truth to that as well, because I I do trust the opinion and the research of those around me. So I would say, yeah, there's some definite influence there as well, but definitely still working on trying to bring my own flavor and, you know, some unique insight to these guys as well. Well, speaking of your flavor and insight, Goody and I were kind of excited to hear how you might build in a startup uh, in, in RSO what kind of guys you'd be targeting with your, we, given that you're allotted like a four-year contract and a couple three-year contracts. So Goody, why don't you walk him through that, um, that action for a minute. And it's been a while since our listeners have gotten to listen to someone as, as sharp as Sam, like play with the idea of the format for the first time. So like, I think it'll be good for them to hear. Okay. We, we talked about this a little bit before the shows kicked off. Um, Basically, your top-tier running backs, you're looking at for in a startup, we, we take the rookie draft out of the equation and just throw all those players in the pool. Don't really want the luck factor of drawing picks when there's generational talent on the board, maybe like a Saquon Barkley or, or now Clyde Edwards-Alaire or, or Jonathan Taylor or whatnot. <laughs> Crazy what landing spot will do for some, right? Um, Anyways, um, so top-tier running backs are looking probably four years, $140 million total, $35 million average. Those are your Saquon Barkley, McCaffrey's, maybe even Dalvin Cooks of the world. Top-tier receivers, and, and while this is a shrinking pool as the wide receiver two band gets bigger, it seems like, so the, the Michael Thomases, the Julios, the DeAndre Hopkins – um, not, Julio may not be getting the, the, the same amount of years, but you're looking at four years, 150 million, just because I think the, the, the thought is that the longevity at the wide receiver position is, is more pervasive. Um, a top tier quarterback, um, not in super flex, like a Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, probably about 30 million a year, four, four years, 120. In a super flex, you probably kick up another 5 million a year. So up to 35 million average uh, tier two quarterback in Superflex. Think a guy who's like right, right in the middle, maybe a Jared Goff, maybe a Baker Mayfield, depending on what, where, where you are with stuff. Kirk Cousins, three years, probably 66 million um, total, about 22 million. And then a top tier tight end is about four years, eight, 80 million. So the Kittles, Ertz, Kelsey's of the world. And those, those are four-year guys, and then from there, it kind of bridges to, sm- to smaller contracts. And the rookie wage scale is first, first pick of the draft is about $8 million a year average for four years. 
and as it moves down to like pick 12 i think is around around what like four and a half luke yeah 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 um, like high three so in yeah system, he's giving you a ton of like uh data there so now just from a team building perspective do you have a position that you'd be more inclined to use your four-year on if you if you only get one at the jump? I guess it really depends who's on the board. And like you said, you know, you're you're throwing a lot of information at me here, and this is fantastic. Yeah. I was having a lot of fun, you know, playing with this type of, of of format. And admittedly, so you know, to you guys and and to the listeners, I've never done a contract league, um, so assigning values like this to players is fascinating. I love it. So it's been really cool for me over you know the last couple of days here to get prepped to really kind of immerse myself into this, into this world and kind of learn on the fly. Um, when I normally build a startup team, I'm really looking kind of, it's, it's, it's that perfect balance for me of, I want to be able to compete now optimistically, but I want to be able to stay young enough to still, you know, have a, a good window of time where I'm kind of banking on some younger guys who I think that I can identify that'll play maybe above their ADP or above where they're going to cost me but still have a nice lengthy window. I know some people like to go all in on veterans year one and say, Hey, I just want to win that title in the first one or two years. And, and other players want to say, Hey, I'm kind of punting for the future. I'm going to draft a lot of youth. I want to acquire future capital. Um, if I could really put a four year contract on someone, I think it would be a young running back. You know, if you want to look at somebody like a Saquon Barkley, I would prefer him right now over McCaffrey for a couple of reasons. Um, first one being, he's still younger. He's not quite a full calendar year younger than McCaffrey, but we know how quickly uh, running backs can fall off and lose value both in real football and, um, and in fantasy football. And I think it's kind of been a perfect storm for maybe potential owners of Barkley compared to McCaffrey because McCaffrey's coming off such a historic season at the same time that Barkley's coming off a relatively for him, a disappointing year in which he was injured for a few games, but I mean, still over the course of his shortened two-year career, he's still averaging over 21 points a game. He's young. He's a key part of that offense. And I really feel like he's going to be, you know, hungry to come back and compete right away and still produce. So four-year contract for him will put him, I think, at 27 years old. If you put that contract on him right now, yeah, he'll be just over 23 and a half heading into the season. So if, if I'm not able to land or put that tag either on a McCaffrey or a Barkley, if it's not one of those two, I'm then going to shift and probably pivot to a wide receiver for that four-year deal. So I think you gave really good advice there. Um, and Goody, I would say, and this is something we haven't discussed, but, but ever since we had a discussion with our show favorite and friend of the show, Matt Waldman, um, I have been going out of my way to go get Nick Chubb, especially as the kind of drifted analysis this year tends to push him down out of that top tier of young rookie running back. You know, people with real concerns about Kareem Hunt, in my mind, those are mitigated by like the improvements made on the Cleveland offensive line and the potential better scheme that Stavansky's going to bring. And so, so I, I'm totally with Sam. I'm going to probably invest my four year and maybe try to take that discount um, that people are giving to Nick Chubb in a startup this year. So he might be my guy that I pursue um, with a four-year contract to, to lock in a young running back, just as Sam says. How about you, man? Yeah, I, I, I like that analysis with Chubb because I know people are scared about the splits when, when Kareem Hunt came, but I, I want to throw all that out the window. Number one, Freddie Kitchens was probably the, the worst red zone play caller in the league, and when Chubb did score his touchdowns it was ba in the red zone, it was basically he'd had one out of eight, basically. They, they seemingly would get a pass interference call at the one or something because he'd be trying to get cute and four-speed Odell or, or whatever. So I, I think that there's going to be positive touchdown regression for Nick Chubb. The line's better. And even if he doesn't catch as many balls as he did last season with Hunt and the Fray, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I, I, I kind of – I want to pose a question back to both of you and – with that, and I'm not necessarily punting on, on the four-year. I, I think that running back is the value of getting, because of positional scarcity, I would be inclined to to grab a four-year running back in a startup league and, and ideally someone where I could arbitrage on that perception, like I think we did with McCaffrey a couple of years ago. But um, it, my question for you is what type of threshold or willingness would you, or premium, depending on how you look at it, would you pay for that established running back over 
over maybe one of these guys who hasn't even seen the field yet, who has a good situation? Or how much of a premium would you pay for a guy that's definitively not in a timeshare versus someone who has incredibly high upside, but at best is still looking at 70-30 or 65-35? So what I mean by that, if, I, if, we're putting na- if we're attaching names to it, we're comparing – I guess you're you're comparing like Ezekiel Elliott to Nick Chubb to Clyde Edwards-Helaire, for instance, or Jonathan Taylor, you know, as the third one of those. So, so like, are you are you giving those rookie running backs a startup who haven't played an NFL down twenty million, twenty two million a year, which you know, which would be t- about ten percent of your cap? So. I think uh, for my sake, and, and I, uh, hopefully this will help Sam frame his analysis too, I, there, there are absolute success stories because we're talking startup right now. And there are right. certainly success stories if you went and paid um, Saquon Barkley before he ever played it out in the NFL because you got a little bit of that discount of the unknown to him, even though his hype had reached such proportions that it wasn't as much of a discount. But then there's horror stories too. There's, if you had, were in a startup last year, you probably paid 25 million per year for David Montgomery. And that looks pretty brutal against your cap at the moment. It's not a bust yet, but it looks pretty tough in terms of the, the relative worth that you got out of him. But if you paid 25 for Josh Jacobs, you're probably happy about that. And, and you probably paid slightly less for Miles Sanders. And so I actually don't know that I would put much of a premium on established talent at the running back position, because as Sam has already alluded to for us tonight, like, the, the kind of the, the career arc of those guys is that they the, the younger they are, frankly, the, that's when you want to get in at the ground floor and not pay them the second contract. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like you said, you, you have the horror stories of, you know, did someone draft a Rashad Penny last year really expecting more of him than what happened? And running back production is so heavily tied early in their career to draft capital. When high draft capital is spent, it's, it's almost a guarantee that they're going – and I say almost a guarantee because we know there's not always going to be guys that produce, but like you said, you almost have to take that chance of getting in on the ground floor of these guys. And, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was brought up. He'll be 25 at the start of the season, which is still young. I mean, but he's already got four years under his belt. He's, you know, got at least 240 carries um, every season. The only season he didn't reach 300 carries was 2017 when he only played 10 games, but he still almost broke a thousand yards. So there's someone who's got a lot of miles on him, but has stayed incredibly consistent, incredibly healthy. But as you've mentioned, and we've talked about a few times already, we just don't know when that value is going to fall off. And when you're paying a premium for some of these guys, the value I think you can get elsewhere, I think your net return is going to be more beneficial going with the guy who hasn't played a snap yet, like a Jonathan Taylor, a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, or a J.K. Dobbins, who I'm very, very excited about. I think you'll see the field a lot sooner maybe than people think. But I would be more willing to pivot that way as opposed to going with some of these proven players early on. And, and to echo Sam there, I think I agree, Goody. I think those three running backs in particular, because the four-year contract, as you know, is a commodity too. It gets really brutal for you as you sit at your startup auction once you spend that thing, the prices rise much more rapidly for you because the, you, you no longer have the four years to break up the premium that you're paying for a player. And so for guys that he described, and particularly Jonathan Taylor, that is absolutely probably who I would target in a startup this year if I was looking um, at any of them. And, um, and, and then I, I think I would avoid spending such a valuable asset like a four-year on the more speculative plays like Cam Akers or Keyshawn Vaughn or, or some of the other guys that are highly touted in the first round at the moment. And guys who I think maybe won't return value as quickly as the other names will. So, right. um, so we've talked for you. You got, you want to go further down the, down the chart there? Good. Oh, in terms of, okay. For running backs, like, uh, I guess the question is what also, what, what type of, receivers would you be looking at here and just maybe throw some names and I can throw dollar values at you um, receivers. And, and let, let's say if it was a, if it was a super flex league, what type of quarterbacks would you be looking at to target? Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump into the quarterbacks there just because I have a couple of things pulled up, pulled up in front of me, but mm-hmm. I think quarterbacks that can provide 
a little bit more of a rushing floor. We've seen that become more of the norm in terms of producing fantasy value. Now, someone like Patrick Mahomes, I think he has more of a rushing floor than people realize. He's not going to light up the field like a Lamar Jackson, obviously. Very few people, if any, can mimic what he does when it comes to at least accruing fantasy value. But when you look at guys like Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, these guys all have the ability to move the chains with their feet. But a guy I think is going to be a sneaky super flex value is Daniel Jones. I think he's someone who you can target relatively late comparatively. Um, but I think if, if you can get him in a startup now, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get him. And so Daniel Jones is a guy that I think could really provide some fantasy value moving forward, being as young as he is. And I think who really has the opportunity to take a step forward um, this season. I think um, young Bobby Hoyt will be happy to hear that news. Yeah, yeah, no. So one of our one of our best <laughs> listeners absolutely is all in on the ground floor with with any giant really. So you can you can almost uh, he he still like he'll he'll actually sign offensive linemen for fantasy football if they were wearing a Giants uniform. So that's, <laughs> that's but, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I I do think you're right with Daniel Jones. He he certainly um is gettable as you say in a lot of leagues, and you'll probably get a discount certainly at a at a at a startup auction too for our listeners that are starting it off this year, because when everybody has access to all the players, a player like Daniel Jones doesn't quite have the cachet and he's not far removed from the entire fantasy community, just like uh, destroying his family name when he just had, had the audacity to be drafted, you know, earlier than we thought he should be. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think you're right. I think you can definitely pluck value there. Um, and if you only have a couple three-year contracts to spend, if it's a super flex, are you going to lock in your quarterbacks, do you think? with the? Uh, so you've got your young running back. Are you going to lock up at least a quarterback with one of those three years, do you think, Sam, based on, on, on how you value the position? As long as I can get someone maybe – and this is where it gets tricky now because if you had asked me this before the draft, I would have tossed out some names or even before free agency – I would have tossed out names like Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray has obviously gained a lot of hype from his impressive rookie season. The signing of DeAndre Hopkins only increased that, and he has a chance. I mean, I would not be shocked if he finished as the quarterback one next year. Like, if you told me a year from now Kyler Murray was the quarterback one, that, that wouldn't shock me. But I think Dak Prescott was still kind of one of those misnomer quarterbacks where people either had him up at, like, number three or four, or they had him like maybe more towards, you know, eight or nine. But I think after the draft, the Cowboys signing CeeDee Lamb, he threw for almost 5,000 yards last year. They have um, a new head coach coming in. I love what they've done at the offensive coordinator position with Kellen Moore coming into his second year. But I've seen Dak ranked as high as, as three as well. But if I can grab one of those top, top quarterbacks, I think in a super flex, you almost have to lock them up with some sort of lengthy deal, whether it be a three-year deal or something like that. Well, speaking of justified hype, we're going to pause here for a moment to hear from our sponsors. And then on the flip side, we'll get a little deeper into how to build a startup um, team with Sam Wallace from Rotoviz. Thanks for listening to the All About Reality pod. And before you smash that skip ahead button, let me tell you about Breaking Tea and a sweet discount for our listeners. Breaking Tea makes cool, timely, comfy t-shirts and stuff for sports fans. If Pat Mahomes hits on a play called Jet Chip Wasp to win the Super Bowl, they've got a great-looking Jet Chip Wasp shirt the next day. If Max Muncy tells Madison Bumgarner to go get it out of the ocean, same thing. If Megan Rapino breaks off the are-you-not-entertained pose in the World Cup, well, you get the point. So check out the site, BreakingTea.com, and use code REALITY15 for 15% off at checkout. It'll help the pod. It'll help breaking tea. And it'll help you get a new favorite shirt for you or someone you love. Thanks. So we're back with Sam Wallace from Rotoviz. And Sam, before the break, you told us that we are going to lock in a young running back at, at the startup auction. And then we're going to tie up, especially in Superflex, we're going to tie one of our three-year contracts, perhaps to one of those elite quarterbacks. Um, that does seem like a base and a foundation that most of us would be comfortable building from. And so now you've got another three-year and a few two-year contracts left. Can you give us some sparkling road of his names and some vintage Wallace analysis as to which kind of players 
that our listeners should be going after? What kind of advantage can they have over their peers in that auction room? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, looking at the tight end position, that's always kind of a tricky one. In startup drafts, there's a lot of different ways you could go with that. It really, really changes if you are playing in some sort of tight end premium league. It changes a lot if you're playing in a two tight end league. That really makes the position valuable. But we still kind of have a really top-heavy group of tight ends. I, I think for a while, the tight end position was very top-heavy. And if you didn't grab a top name, it was kind of you know, you were you were playing the matchups every week is what it seemed like. But I really feel like tight end has gotten a little bit deeper the last few years, which has been nice because now there's kind of more of a middle tier of tight ends. You don't necessarily have to pay up for the top guys, but if you miss on those or just choose to not pay, you still have good middle options. Um, one guy that I would really like to target as a tight end is, is Mark Andrews. I think his ability and just his spot on the team that with the Baltimore Ravens they're the the rush heaviest team last season but Andrews I think is the number one pass catcher the pass catching option on that team so you could look and say okay well a lot of his production last season was tied to touchdowns Um, Lamar Jackson did throw for quite a few touchdowns last season for for as much as that team ran I do expect maybe some of that touchdown volume for Andrews to come down but I almost kind of see him in this, this isn't a clean comparison, but I kind of view the Lamar Andrews stack for fantasy, kind of like the Brady Gronk stack was a number of years ago, where you just knew that whenever Brady was looking for a big play, looking down the field, that's where he was going to. And I do expect, you know, Marquise Hollywood Brown to take a step forward. The Ravens drafted some guys this year um, at the wide receiver position and obviously at running back, but I don't mind paying a premium for a guy like Mark Andrews or even a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle. And I think when you get a little bit older, with Travis Kelsey. He's the oldest tight end kind of in that upper echelon by quite a bit, but he hasn't shown us any signs of really slowing down. So if you want to just pay a two-year contract for a guy like Kelsey, he's elite. He's tied to the most talented quarterback in the league right now, reigning Super Bowl champions, a fantastic, you know, head coach. I don't mind paying for a guy who on paper is older, but if you're going to pay him for two years and you're going to try to win titles, which I think you should as often as you can in fantasy, those are some guys that I wouldn't mind paying up for. That's really beautifully said. And I have to say one of my off season, um, I think dreams is an advice for our listeners is to actually take a lot of what Sam just said about Mark Andrews. And if you want the, the discount play and the pivot off that, I think giving a long-term contract to Miles Boykin, he might not pop this year, but I really kind of still have a, a lot of love for him and what he could become with his like massive size and playing opposite of Hollywood Brown busting, like taking the top off the defense. So Boykin's another one. If you're, if you're, if you don't have a lot of cap room and you do have your long-term contracts, um, you're, you're not in a startup, but you just have, you need a good player to like invest a longer term contract in because you don't have a lot of cap available. I think Miles Boykin might be the, uh, the play there. Now Goody uh, wanted to turn to you a couple of, to ask you about a few other players that you, that are you, you're into in terms of your writing this off season. Yeah. And, uh, so let's hear from you, Goody. What, who, who are we talking about now? Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll kind of, you started on tight ends. I, I think we should wrap the, wrap the, the startup with, re, with receivers, but while we're still on the topic of tight ends a little bit, you kind of talk about the, you've written an article about grabbing a middle round TD, maybe tight end, uh, maybe, or maybe Andrews is the one you're referring to there, but, there's a pretty big band, but at the same time, you're also talking about selling some tight ends who are pretty big names. So I'd like, I think those were a couple separate articles. So, you know, I think you had an article to sell Ertz and go, go with the younger option, um, sell Darren Waller, and then you had some middle round tight ends you like. So I, I like you think that the band is pretty big. And I think that the, the variability of outcomes is pretty nice this year. So when a guy like Grunk comes back into the fray, I think he's, you know, the the shiny object that people are chasing after. But at the same time, the, the tier, like a, a, there's just some guys that appeal to me. I mean, I personally got on record saying that Mike Kosicki is the guy I've advocated as my DJ Chark of this year for reality sports online listeners. Um, that just a guy I really like in the off season. And I don't think anything that happened in the draft is, is talking me off of that. Um, and especially like the, the chain Gailey stuff too. So I, but 
I, I just want you to talk kind of in depth about the tight end position. You wrote an article about Blake Jarwin, Hayden Hurst, Johnny Smith. So you have a ton of content out there and just kind of want you to expound on the tight end category. And then we'll wrap with receivers as part of the startup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one guy that I've, I've seen have a pretty wide range of outcomes from a draft capital perspective in dynasty startups has been Noah Fant. I've seen him go as early as the tight end four off the board um, in a tight end premium Superflex dynasty league, but I've also seen him go, you know, down seven, eight, nine. He's always been drafted as either, you know, kind of a mid to back end tight end one, but looking at him from, you know, a tight end four perspective, that was a little rich for me. But then I kind of go back and look at, you know, just some of his combine percentiles. I mean, it looks like this guy was built in a lab. When you look at him on paper, you know, 98 percentile in the 40, 97 in the vertical, 96 in the broad, 98 in the three cone. I mean, this guy's just an elite athlete. And he was kind of, you know, the 1B for a lot of people to TJ Hawkinson, at least initially. And then it seemed like, okay, everyone was high on Hawkinson coming out of college. And then Fant was kind of, you know, the other good option. But it seemed that the closer we got to the season, and especially kind of now for how Hawkinson flashed week one last year and then really just disappeared from football and fantasy in, in general, Fant has kind of become the new trendy name of those two, of that pair, to see significant draft capital. Now that Denver's really settled on a quarterback, they've surrounded him with weapons, and, and it's a Drew Lock season now, and I think Fant has a really good opportunity to, to be successful. And you mentioned Gasicki. Talk about another guy who, on paper, is just an athletic freak. I really like him as well. You talked about Chan Gailey. I just read a really good article um, online about kind of the impact that Gailey will have on this offense. It was nice to see Gasicki finish in a high note last year. Part of his success on paper, um, he played exceptionally well without Preston Williams, but you can kind of look at the first half of that season as the team kind of still figuring out how they wanted to tank last year. They couldn't really decide who they wanted to lead the tanking effort. Um, but <laughs> It was still really nice to see um, Gasicki play well. I think we know tight ends take a lot longer to develop. They don't develop and return on value as quickly as running backs or as wide receivers. And it can be frustrating to stay patient as fantasy owners. But I really like, you know, you kind of going on record to say, I really do think Gasicki, I'm with you, that he could really pop this year. And it would be nice to see him put it all together. So those are a couple of good names that I think in that middle-ish tier of maybe tight end seven or eight down to tight end 12 or 13, depending on where guys fall. I think you can find really good value there without having to pay the premium of a Kittle or a Kelsey. That's great analysis there. I'm just going to ask you a kind of a quick hitter question too. So yeah, absolutely. For, for folks in the off season. So if, if I, if I came to you, you wrote an article about Johnny Smith, you wrote about Hayden Hurst. If I was coming to you and you own those guys on cheap, contracts say a couple couple of years couple million dollars a year and I came to you and I said I'll give you uh I'll give you my second round pick say 2.05 for Hayden Hurst is that something that you're you're accepting or not accepting it, it's always tough for me to answer those in a vacuum because I always yeah. like, I always like to see the context of what are my team needs is he my tight end two my tight end three I have him as my tight end two in my most recent startup that I did I stacked um, Darren Waller with Hayden Hurst I felt that gave me a pretty decent mixture of uh, of talent and upside um, I think the two hundred five is is probably about fair for for Hurst I think that's I think that's a good kind of over under I think that's a good mark there. I do like what Hurst has the opportunity to do in Atlanta. I don't expect him to step in and put up Austin Hooper type numbers, but there's also a lot of volume there for him to step in. And even if he can absorb, I think I went back and looked at the numbers just from last year, kind of just looking at 2019 numbers that if, if Hurst comes in and only takes on like 60% or 70% of what Hooper did last year, he's right in that high tight end two, low tight end one. And depending on how the rest of your team is structured, you could probably get away with that on a semi-weekly basis. Yeah. And, and like one more thing on that. Actually, let me put a name to 2.05, I guess, in, in some recent rookie starts. So like if it, say I, I was getting near the clock and you had Hayden Hurst and, and, and the guy I, I pick around 2.05 is Michael Pittman Jr. So it, it, in a vacuum, is there something like if you – would you? I, I know Hayden Hurst may not be like the sexy name, and and I think that my, the point I'm trying to drive home here is I think I've seen it in some leagues that I'm in, is that 
we have we have a lot of people who kind of go with recency bias and rookies are the shiny objects so in this case novelty bias so like is a guy like Hurst appealing enough for you if Pittman is on the clock to make that deal if you have a team need I think I would still lean Hurst on on that side and I've been really trying to be more intentional about getting away from rookie fever a little bit and I know the team is very high on Pittman. He brings a great athletic profile. There's a lot of potential there. But it's, it's still a rookie in his first year. And if I'm kind of still in that win-now mode, which I think if, if you're doing it as best as you can, and I understand things happen, you should always try be, be trying to be in that win-now mode, that every season you're kind of, you know, you're retooling, you're reloading instead of rebuilding unless – you're, you're, you're ravaged by injuries or things like that, or you're choosing to take on a rebuild or something like that. But I would I'll, I'll almost always go with a proven player, even if that player is transitioning to a new team. I'll almost always go with a known commodity in that instance in a vacuum over a rookie pick. Yeah, Sam, I can't agree more about going with a known commodity, but I don't know that Hayden Hurst is a known commodity. He's been one of my favorite ones to chase this offseason, too. But with no offseason, shifting teams to a new team, having never produced like really at Baltimore and being outproduced by a, a, a teammate, like I don't, I think I would go with the Ricky pick only because of that fever that you allude to. I think that pick becomes a more valuable commodity as people get on the clock and they start getting twitchy. And basically I think you could flip Hayden Hurst at that point for like a, a player knowing again, not in a vacuum, but if you know your league mates, you, then they're starting to like get desperate and they're like, Oh, just here's T.Y. Hilton, just I really need to get, like, LaVisca. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You can have it. Right? Yeah, you, you bring up an excellent point there, and, and that's kind of been part of my reason for pause on some of these questions. And one thing I, I talk to a lot of people about online when they, when they post questions to me is I, I rarely like answering questions just straight in a vacuum because I don't know. And like you said, it's really important. If you know your league mates and you know, you know, this one league owner – has you know just extreme rookie fever or maybe he was one piece away last year and you know he kind of got bounced around early in the playoffs you can use those pieces of context to your advantage especially when you're on the clock because when the lights are on that's when guys will probably start to make different moves that they maybe wouldn't normally have made if you gave them like a night to think about it or something like that so I'm definitely with you there very good and Speaking of like moves that we would uh, we would want to make or not normally make, you you give a, a, another a number of kind of great um, <laughs> great insights in an article that I particularly liked, having so much of Cooks last year. Um, and when you give some analysis about how perhaps the NFL's best GM, Bill O'Brien, like really carried out this offseason. and uh, and I think you know I think most of us would trade. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins for for Brandon Cooks and David Johnson actually um, mm -hmm. in our lives. But having said that, you 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 get beyond the joke and get into what we could actually expect of Brandon Cooks because he 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 shouldn't be a joke. He's not a punchline. He's actually been a really successful player historically, and so um, he's also like doesn't have the hype. He's fallen far behind the Tyler Boyds of the world, for example. And he's like pretty far down a list at, at a startup. Are you chasing him in a startup draft? Because you're going to be able to get him late in the draft for much cheaper than, than his production has warranted the last five years. I think I, I would not mind chasing him in a startup. I mean, he, he's only 26 years old and I feel like he's been in the league forever because he has been, I mean, he's got six years under his belt and all he's done is put up thousand yard seasons with like four different teams and four different quarterbacks. Like you said, he, he's a known commodity. He's not a punchline. His biggest issue is obviously his health with concussions. Those are nothing to mess around with. And, you know, I wish him well, and he seems like he still wants to play. And I believe he can play at a high level. I'm optimistic for him in Houston. Um, I'm not still convinced that, that Will Fuller can play a full season. He's obviously elite when he's healthy, but that team is now kind of devoid of, of a true wide receiver one. And I think, Cooks can be that I would be comfortable with him as I would say no more than my wide receiver three and I think that's maybe being a little optimistic but if I could you know pin down an elite guy early maybe circle back with one of my favorite kind of third fourth round pick guys and maybe like a Kelvin Ridley or, or an AJ Brown or somebody like that and if I can buy in the discount on Cooks I absolutely will because of his youth 
every player is probably one hit away from never playing in the league again. And that's not something we can always bake into our projections, but I think that's just a risk that we take on. But obviously with something like concussions, as I said, it, it plays a part. And if someone is worried about that and is selling based on that discount or cooks just falls down the draft board on a startup, I will absolutely buy that for sure. Yeah. And when you, you frame it that way, and Goody, just even hearing that team out loud as I've started to say it, I realize I'm inadvertently becoming like cheering for the Texans because of the caliber of like people on that team. Like I want to see Deshaun Watson succeed and I want David Johnson to like have another good run and I want Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller to like be healthy. Like they yeah. can be a really fun team, like if they if they do it right. It's it's funny you say that because as you were asking the question in my mind, it, I it wasn't like the rotating tire, but I, I feel like I just pictured a play where they just drew up where all the receivers went deep and then they threw a dump off to David Johnson, took it 50 yards or something. So because they have the deep threats and Kenny Stills and Will Fuller and um, and Cooks, so it's just it's just kind of interesting what it, how vertical that offense could be especially if they're playing a team that has has weak safeties so it, th- there'd be a lot of schoolyard fun to that you know that sounds kind of like a recess play you know in fourth grade where you're like quarterback's got a cannon you're like go go deep and you know um I, I was probably into block on that play but um. <laughs> sometimes it really is that simple though like you said when you have guys that can do that and even just looking at you know for Deshaun Watson his adjusted yards per attempt um over his last couple of seasons. I mean, he has both Stills and Fuller over 10 yards um, per adjusted area yards per attempt, and that's or just adju- adjusted yards per attempt for Watson. That's impressive. Like you said, that's a vertical offense, and they want to be vertical. It's just the health or lack thereof of their wide receivers is preventing them from doing that on a consistent basis. Right. I don't know a, a more polarizing guy in reality sports online probably than Will Fuller. He's probably towards the end of some rookie deals, someone who's probably not getting a, a ton of love in a, in a startup. But if he could piece together, you know, even 12 of 16 games and, and just be healthy for you in the playoffs, I, that's, that's a guy that cer- certainly high variance that you'd lo- love to go into the playoffs with. For sure. That's like, that's a, that's a tech mobile forego. Like, route offense now and that's that's fun man and so speaking of fun i've had a blast sam thanks a lot this has been a good night and and we again we looked forward to having you on it was cool that your name kept coming up in in kind of discourse on twitter i don't know if i should use the word discourse for twitter that's a funny (laughs) it's a loose term yeah exactly um but goody one more fantasy question for our gentleman before i get him out of here on the fun one yeah sure um I a lot of articles about receivers. I think you talked about just quick hitting um, before I ask you my last question, but quick hitting, would you, is there a foundational receiver too that you would look at in a, in a startup? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm never going to miss a chance to go on record or speak highly of, of my favorite young wide receiver in AJ Brown. And I understand the, I understand the feeling that he's probably going to regress statistically from you know just an efficiency perspective, just his air yards, his, his um, yards per reception, things like that. That team still wants to run first. That's their identity. That's how they want to win. We saw that in the playoffs, and they were very successful with that when Tannehill only had to throw for like 76 yards for the game. I mean, that's their, that's their MO. That's what they want to do. But I still feel like A.J. Brown is one of those players, and I, I've seen people talk about him before where, you know, going into the season, could he regress and put up fewer yards and fewer touchdowns this season sure but I think for him his time is coming like he's going to be one of the premier wide receivers in the league it might not be this year it may take him a couple of years and maybe that offense to kind of reevaluate what they want to do what they want their identity to be Derrick Henry's not going to keep playing at that high level for very much longer because we know how fast running backs turn over and yeah he's pretty hyped right now and maybe some people are saying look I'm not going to buy him because of the hype but his time is going to come at some point and he's still probably right now the cheapest he's going to be. And so, like I said, I, I think he's a great foundational piece that he may only put up wide receiver two numbers for the next couple of years. But if I'm really looking at maybe playing a longer game and building up that type of team, he's a guy that I'm more than willing to go pay for. 
Yeah, I, I really love the physical traits. Just watching him in, in Debo last year, I, the, the, the guy that kind of struck me in both of them was Anquan Bolden, who just had, had a really good, un, in a way, unsung career because he started with Fitzgerald, you know, with Fitzgerald as kind of the alpha. But I, I, I like that A.J. Brown foundational piece. Just quickly, just because it's, it's recent, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit before Luke asks his signature question about yesterday you released an article on Rotoviz called Can Talent Overcome a Seemingly Weak Landing Spot? Yeah. And I, I just want to kind of walk through your mindset of that article and, and w- what you touched upon in there and, and what, you, what your thoughts are. Yeah, absolutely. So the article is referencing C.D. Lamb going to the Dallas Cowboys and um, I had some people reach out to me and say, okay, you know, hey, saw the title of your article. Um, what's up with that? You know, a weak landing spot. You're talking about C.D. Lamb and, and weak kind of in the same in the same frame of thought here. And that's not really at all what I'm going into at all. Um, I think initially some of the initial tweets that I saw after the Cowboys picked C.D. Lamb uh, at 17th overall. He was the, I believe, the third. Yeah, he was the third wide receiver taken in the draft. The initial projection from a lot of people was, oh man, that's a bummer. You know, he's coming in behind two wide receivers who both just posted seasons over 110 targets, over 1,100 receiving yards. They have one of the top running backs in the league who just thrives on volume. Who is a, a very underrated pass catcher, I think Zeke is, in my opinion. So. On paper, you say, okay, well, Lamb immediately comes in as, you know, he's the third option now. But you look at his production profile, his athleticism, his tape mixed with his, you know, his analytics, he, he's destined for greatness in this league. I'm convinced of it. But when you look at some of the details, people say, oh, well, the Cowboys just signed Cooper to this massive deal. I think it was like five years, $100 million. A lot of that is front-loaded, and the Cowboys actually have an out after the, after the 2021 season on Cooper, that's only going to cost them, I think, like $6 million in dead cap. Um, Gallup, I think, is also a free agent after 2021. So this team could look really, really different in a couple of years. And if for that reason people had, you know, Lamb as their wide receiver one or two pre-draft, if he's fallen at all, you should absolutely be buying him because he could step in this year. And there's like 160-plus vacated targets on that offense. They're one of like the top three teams in vacated targets this year. Kellen Moore you know, tying in with, with what Dak Prescott can do. This team is going to produce offensively. They're going to put up 30 points a game. I don't know if their defense is going to be able to hold up, but they're going to have some fun offensive production. So for Lamb, I absolutely think that he's in a great spot and that if someone, like I said, is worried about the landing spot and saying, oh, well, he's going to be behind two 1,100-yard receivers early. He's not going to have, you know, a full off season to build that chemistry, catch up with the playbook, things like that. If that depresses his value, I'm absolutely there for it. So we know who to chase. We've heard who to stay away from from you, Sam. And we really appreciate the insights that you're going to be giving and continue to give us this offseason over at Rotoviz. If people do want to interact with you, where can they go looking for you on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm over at Twitter. My handle is at swallace underscore ff. Awesome. Goody, how about you, man? Things have been picking up for us. Our, the off-season engagement in the, as everybody sits home and tinkers with their fantasy teams has been really great. We've really appreciated our fans and new fans and like friends that we've made through this community. So uh, where, are they, where are they chatting you up at, on Twitter these days? At Matt Goody 2. How about you? Uh, I'm over at, at FantasyDocOc, D-O-C-O-C. And Sam, given a world right now where we face the potential world without fantasy football, I always ask our listeners – in a world absent football to build a fantasy game around, what kind of fantasy game would you construct to keep us all hanging out and playing games um, with one another? Oh man, a fantasy, a world without football and fantasy football. I'm not even <laughs> sure. I'm, pre- I'm not even sure I'm prepared to answer that sort of question. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's a far more fun question when it's just hypothetical for sure right yeah like you said if if we were you know a couple weeks ahead of the season and everything was going to be smooth sailing i'd be like oh yeah for sure because it's not kind of already weighing on the back of my mind (laughs) so you're gonna duck it then Uh, i don't know i mean so are we talking like other sports that i would play fantasy in or just some other yeah people have talked people have talked bourbon in the past they've talked video games they've talked uh, you know like food like uh, movies. So anything else that you can think of to draw us together? 
those all sound fantastic. I was going to say, uh, we could do some sort of alcohol themed fantasy league. I think that would draw a lot of people and it doesn't necessarily have to be bourbon, but I think you could draw from a lot of crowds that way. For sure. For sure. Well, Sam, thanks a lot, man. I hope you continue this pace that you've just really been doing, uh, like the grind and the torrential work and producing fun stuff for us to talk about. And so we continue to point our listeners to you and to all you RSO fantasy GMs out there. This has been another episode of All About Reality.